Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I critique and debate over horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never learn anything. Maybe we never quite accomplish anything here on the show, but hopefully you have a good time listening. So we are continuing our deadly summer camp theme with a film which I'm very excited to talk about. And, uh, you know, I think when it comes to this movie, before I tell you what we're doing, I think it's best described as lore of the campfire telling of his horror <laughs> lost in the woods with the madman and the stars <laughs> fucking love this song don't laugh at the tale heed if you call him the legend lives. Beware the madman Mars. <laughs> the legend lives. Beware the madman Mars. <laughs> I, I was expecting Chris to say anything no, while no. I was doing that. <laughs> you never sing. I just wanted to listen to you sing. Plus, I fucking love this song. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure I sing that one off beat because I <laughs> admittedly am not super familiar with the song. But yeah, no, so we are talking about the 1981 Madman, uh, <laughs> uh, which has a great theme to it, and I think that's, you know, the nicest thing to, <laughs> to say about it in terms of quality. No, I actually have a lot of uh, fun things I, I want to say about this movie, because I do really enjoy it, but this is a film that was written, directed by Joe Giannone, I, I think is how you say it. Uh, it was his only film, uh, unfortunately for Joe, uh, although I was listening to the commentary today, and they... He does say that he has a script for a part two. He'd love to do a sequel if if anyone would like to give him the money, you know, 40 years later. I'd be down for it. Uh, no, so would I. I would love to see what Joe does uh, coming back to this. But uh, So that's what we were talking about tonight. There's a film that is essentially based on the legend of Cropsy, only in this case, the film The Burning, which is also based on Cropsy. Uh, was filming at the same time and set to release around the same time as Mad Men, and the filmmaking team behind it found out about that and <laughs> and and knew that the burning would be releasing before it. So, in order to try to avoid as much you know comparison as possible, uh, they ended up changing the name and all that kind of stuff. So now it's Mad Men <laughs> Mars, which honestly I like better than Cropsy. I think Mad Men's a better title than yeah. It would have been if it had been Cropsy or something like that, right? <laughs> um, and they got to create their own new character out of it. But anyway, it's about this group of, a very small group of kids and a very large group of camp counselors. There's only five uh, kids and six counselors. Yeah, ha hanging out at this camp uh, in fall of all times <laughs> uh, before winter break. And, and after a campfire tale about Madman Mars, one of the kids ends up throwing a bottle at Madman's supposed house and calling his name, and then, what do you know, Madman shows up to murder them all. <laughs> and that's basically the movie. It's very simple. It's all shot in one night. Uh, there's only one shot in the entire movie that was actually shot during the day, but it's still supposed to be night. It's just the only shot they actually shot during the day. <laughs> anyway, so that's what we're talking about tonight. Before we get into that, uh, we do have our spoiler-free content as usual, so... As far as releases go this week, there's a couple really interesting ones that I'm pretty excited about for you all to see. So first up is, and these will all be out by the time you're listening to this, first up is George A. Romero's The Amusement Park, which is very interesting. I have seen it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't, no, not, 
Not I, <clears throat> not I don't think. I know it's not going to be for everybody, including some Romero fans. Uh, the Amusement Park is this film that was, oh, God, I think shot way back in, like, 1973, I think. It was shot, I believe, as, like, a industrial kind of film, and it's it basically details uh, this old man's day at an amusement park, and... And Chris is laughing, but it's actually a really uncomfortable, kind of eerie film because the movie's basically, uh, essentially, sort of a PSA about, you know, as someone in your youth, do better to make things better for older generations because by the time you get to their age, you're going to experience the horror of being old and how shitty society treats you. And. <laughs> And, uh, and so the film basically follows this old man who's at an amusement park, and it's a very strange amusement park in the sense that everything is a, a metaphor and a commentary, you know, like, we all know Romero as being this, as this filmmaker uh, who was heavy on the commentary with all of his movies, you know, Dawn of, the Dawn of the Dead's all about consumerism, Night of the Living Dead, whether he says it's meant to be or not, ends up being a commentary on racism in America, right? And, and this one is, is a commentary on ageism, uh, classism in America, and, and all that kind of stuff. So it follows this old man. I'm, I'm rambling. I'm sorry. <laughs> it follows this old man uh, at an amusement park. And so everything's metaphorical. So instead of, like, your average amusement park games, you know, there's, like, uh, there's like eye tests that they have to pass. <laughs> and, and in order to buy tickets, it's all these old people having to give up, like, precious heirlooms for pennies. You know, just to be able to afford to play in the park, and <laughs> this sounds like a heavy film. Oh, it's very heavy film. Yeah, no, it's it's not it's not light by any means. Um, but but so so that's essentially what it is, and it's just it's forty five or fifty minutes or so of just that. You know, just this old man just basically going through hell and being mistreated in this amusement park. It's not your traditional kind of horror. It's not Night of the Living Dead. It's not. You know, creep show and and these other Romero films. The the closest I would compare it to is maybe Martin, just in the sense that it's a very strange movie and an earlier kind of experimental work of Romero's. But it's very good. I highly recommend checking it out if you're a Romero fan. Uh, it's been restored after you know nearly fifty years by the George A. Romero Foundation, and and they've done a great job restoring it. So if you want to get a peek at what some of Romero's early filmmaking was like check it out it's really cool to be able to see you know a film coming from him after his passing mm. like it's it's kind of amazing actually to be able to see a romero film yeah it's like the lost works exactly you know and that's and that's just something like you like after romero passed none of us would ever expect we're going to see a new george a. romero film right yeah so so on that basis alone it's worth checking out if you're into his work but anyway so that's coming to shutter and then lastly is a film called censor which is coming to theaters uh, and then I believe it's releasing on VOD next week. But this is one that I caught during Sundance, and it was my favorite film in Sundance. I think it's incredible. It's it, it's about a woman during the video nasty era uh, oh. in the UK, where you know everything's being banned, and you know society's freaking out about <laughs> these low budget violent horror movies, right? And so everything was getting banned left and right. And anyway, she this woman is a censor in the film. And so her job is to like go through all these horror films and watch these scenes of violence over and over and over again and, and, and cut out as much as possible. And so uh, do in, in, in this work, she tends to start going a little bit nuts and, <laughs> <laughs> and just becomes like just devolves into this total world of, you know, where reality and these bizarre, bloody, violent movies are kind of combining into one right so mm -hmm. she's kind of like losing her mind and the two are kind of coinciding and then there's like a subplot about her trying to find her sister i believe who who she thinks she sees in one of these movies right and oh, shit. it just it's very bizarre if, if you've seen films like evil ed or, or uh barbarian sound studio it's kind of it's similar to both of those Eve, although evil ed is like the extreme insane kind of goofy take on this sort of premise whereas censor is a much more serious kind of gut punch of a movie so uh but it's a great film highly recommended it. it's really cool visually it's got lots of great color to it you know reminded me a lot of like some of argento's work in that sense so definitely check that out if you can and you can find my review for both of these on killerhorrorcritic.com uh, next up, we also like to do a poll on Twitter at Killer Critics. Just kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film that we're talking about each night and what you think of it. So with Mad Men, where do you think our audience falls on that? Uh, 
I think I think like it because I feel like it's a solid slasher film. I don't feel like anybody, a lot of people are going to put it in their their love it category, but I can't really see people hating it. Like it's fun. Well, you are wrong. Damn it. <laughs> Uh, so, so this is actually a case of people just haven't seen it. So, oh, okay. That makes me feel better. Uh, so, so never seen it came in at 40%. Love it was 28.6%. It's fine was 22.9%. And don't like it was 8.6%, which I'm not surprised with how love it and it's fine are kind of even. I am a little smidge of a surprise that so many of you haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> which, which if you haven't, I think it is streaming on Shutter. I think you can also find it on Tubi. Uh, Joe Bob Briggs did an episode on it for The Last Drive-In, so you can watch it with his commentary. I, I believe that should still be up on Shutter. But yeah, no, it's I, I, it definitely falls, I think, right in there. Like, doesn't surprise me, because for me personally, you know, I like this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't love it. I didn't grow up with it, really. It's not... It's not one that I watched a lot as a kid, so I don't have that kind of, like, nostalgic attachment to it. Um, although never... I think if I had watched it as a kid, I'd probably like it a lot more than I do now. But even as now, I just think it's a solid, creepy little slasher. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I guess I can't, I can't really, like, make fun of anybody who hadn't seen it yet because this is my first time watching it. Um, but it is a really, like, so yeah, well, you're an exception. <laughs> I am. I am a weird bubble child. But, yeah, for for me, like, there's a lot of really good, interesting stuff and a lot of, like, just weird, why did you do that? That That's the only reason why it's not a love it for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the... <laughs> That's the thing is, is Madman has a sort of charm to it, right? Yeah. Like it's, you know, I, I, I actually despise the phrase of like, it's, it's so bad that it's good because mm-hmm. to me, if you consider it good, it's just good. You yeah. know, it's not like, like there are movies out there that are bad yes. and, and we need, we need to, you know, differentiate between the two. Right. So, mm. so with Madman, I think it's, I think it's charming in the areas where it's not as much quality, right? <laughs> it's more entertaining than it is quality. So mm. You know, I, my thing with Madman is just every line of dialogue in this film is just awkward as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I mean, that, and this isn't even a line of dialogue. One of my favorite moments in Madman is when uh, our two stars, Betsy, played by Galen Ross, who I don't know what Galen Ross is doing in this movie. <laughs> you know, this is like this is the same person who played Francine in Dawn of the Dead, which I think is one of the is one of, if not the best zombie movies ever made. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know what the hell Galen's doing in Madman all these years later, but here she is. Anyway, so it's got this hot tub scene with uh, Betsy, played by Galen Ross, and her boyfriend in the film, T.P., played by Tony Fish. And they get in this hot tub, <laughs> and then it's just like the weirdest seduction I've ever seen on film, where they just circle each other in the hot tub While to like romantic circling. music. No, that's that's what I said. They're circling each other. Okay, fine. Yes, circling each other in the sense that they're both just moving in circles while staring at each other across the hot tub, and it just goes like that. Like they're going with the flow of the water, like going down a down a drain or something, right? So, uh, and that's just the movie in a nutshell. Like yep. every 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 character interaction in this film is like that, with just deliveries and lines of dialogue where you're like. No human being would say that, sir, and you are a robot. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so so I like it. Chris likes it. Neither of us loves it. So I think we kind of understand where the audience falls there. But again, if you haven't yeah. seen it, go check it out streaming. So we also like to get comments from you all with what you all think of the film. And so we got a couple here. Uh, one of our big supporters, Seth, at Beer Nut and the number one. And these are all on Twitter. So that's at Beer Nut and then the number one. Uh, he says, I do like Madman a lot. It uses part of the real Cropsey urban legend and lends a fun but frightening twist to a fun camp-based slasher, plus a great campfire song. <laughs> oh, my God. That campfire song is amazing. Now, like, which one? Because there are two. There's the opening campfire song, which spoils the entire movie for us. Yep. And then there's and then there's the final campfire song, which I, you know, wonderfully sang to you all at the beginning here. <laughs> so, I would go with the opening one that TP sings to everybody. That almost plays out like a trailer. A little bit. A little bit. Tripping with blood. <laughs> My favorite thing about this episode so far is how much Matt has sung to me. Because Matt never sings. Yeah, well, you've all, you all understand why <laughs> I haven't sung now. So. I don't know. You were charming. Yeah, I don't know anything about the Cropsey legends, so I can't. Well, you went to camp. I is did. Is everything that you did just different from the rest of the yes! world? Yes. 
You went to a high school with like five people. You went to camp where they didn't have the Cropsey legend. There was 18 <laughs> people in my class, no. not five. Yeah, well, it might as well have been five because mine had 3,000. <laughs> no, we, let's see. I went to two different summer camps. The first one I went to did do like kind of a storytell legend, but I was so young that I don't really remember any of the names. So I don't think it was the Cropsey one. And then the one I went to as a high schooler or as a middle schooler, yeah, we didn't do any ghost stories. It's really kind of disappointing. Yeah, your summer camp sucked. My um, summer camps were amazing. No, you take that your back. Summer, if your summer camp did not tell good story stories, then it sucked. Um, camp was so, <laughs> I mean, I didn't go to camp, so I, I never got to hear the Cropsey legend in its purest form, right? So I just say, you know, anything you want to know about Cropsey, just watch Madman and the Burning, and you'll combine the two and mix them up and you know scramble whatever you want to do that's basically the cropsy legend basically the cropsy legend is some creepy dude in the woods who stalks and kills camp counselors that's all you really need to know right oh, okay. <laughs> uh, more or less that's what it is and so and, and like he's not quite human not quite a ghost you know what whatever that that's my understanding of the cropsy legend <laughs> but but like seth says here you know yeah i think it's really cool that it uses that at the time i mean like i said they you know, Cropsey was a legend that hadn't really been explored. Like, Friday the 13th, you know, it was its own thing. That wasn't really about Cropsey. And maybe part of it was inspired by it, but, that you know, Sam Raimi's never said, to my knowledge, that it had anything to do with that. Uh, so they were kind of in competition with them and the burning of, like, you know, being the first to put out, like, a solid Cropsey movie, right? And so this is one of the first films to do that. And so it's fun for that. Uh, it is a fun movie overall because for, for all of its flaws – you don't take it seriously. It's it's not asking you to take it seriously, nope. you know? And it just ends up, you know, like Seth kind of mentions here, it just ends up being just a really just kind of classic sort of early 80s camp slasher, right? Yeah. And yes, and the camp songs are great. They they are. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to be having these fucking songs stuck in my head for like a week at least. No, I love them. I I want to get them from my iPod so I can listen to them all the time. Yeah, why not? But anyway, so thank you Seth for your comment. Really appreciate it. And lastly is a comment from at slash @vidcast and so that's S L A S H V I D C A S T. And they say, it's okay, I think it needed a stronger script and better pacing. <laughs> I am not going to disagree with you on that. Like, for me, honestly, the biggest issue I have is more with the, the pacing of everything than the script. I like the weird dialogue that we're getting because, like, it, it almost feels like they were trying to write more mature camp counselors. <laughs> oh, I am. I That's one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I find it really enjoyable and weird and hokey and, like, so I don't really mind the dialogue as much, but, like, what really gets to me, at least with the pacing of this film, is just, like, we will have scenes where a character will be walking and we keep watching them walk and we keep watching them walk you are so hung up on that scene in the finale <laughs> there, aren't no, you no, you cannot get over the fact that we're watching this woman walk for like a minute <laughs> there's multiple times in the movie where like there's just a little bit too long with a particular scene and yes I'll it's suspense chris i it, have no focus it Matt. pulls you to the edge of your seat until you're like oh my god something fucking happened <laughs> oh i'm not that type of viewer at all if you go for too long you have lost me I'm playing Candy Crush on my phone or some shit like that. Ugh. No uh, focus. God, the <laughs> eye roll that I feel going through my head right now. Um, yeah, so <laughs> so, so I, I do agree with the comment here uh, in the sense that, like, you know, I find the charm of Madman to be its terrible script. Because <laughs> let's be honest, the, the script is not the strength of this movie. <laughs> um, I, I find it endearing for that, but yeah. if we're talking about terms of quality... Oh yeah, the script is not good, and <laughs> and the script has everything to do with the pacing too. And the pacing's not good, you know. The pay, like like Chris said, they they definitely go for suspense with some longer shots, but there is something, there is such thing as too long. So you do <laughs> with, agree with me? Oh yeah, I'm just giving you shit. Okay. So <laughs> yes. So there is such thing as too long. You know, we just watched a movie called Sledgehammer the other day, where I swear to God, every other shot is like like 50 seconds just on a house or a doorknob or slow motion of a doorknob and like <laughs> it's all meant for suspense but the best editors know how far how much is too much right 
And, and and so like you know a good editor because they just they have an innate skill to know if four seconds is too long for this and three seconds is better. Like that one second can make all the difference and yeah. the good editors know <laughs> which is which, right? So so anyway, thank you uh, for the comment slash vcast. We appreciate it. So last thing we'd like to do before we get into spoiler territory is just talk about the tagline and the film overall. So so the tagline for Man Man was they thought they were alone. And that's it. So what, do you, <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline for Mad Man? And what do you think of the movie overall that you haven't already mentioned? Uh, look, I fucking love it. Like, I feel like it's so perfect for this movie because it's like kind of basic, kind of what you expect for, for a tagline for a movie like this. But there's there's a charm in that. Um, and I feel like that's this entire movie is the fact that like look, this movie is not perfect. It has a whole bunch of faults. But those are really what attaches you to it and makes it more charming like the characters are interesting but weirdly written like they there's amazing kills in this movie it feels like a weird for me mishmash where like they almost reached their potential for having a legitimately good movie they just kind of fell a little bit short and i'm okay with it a lot of it short (laughs) it's like it's like watching a toddler fall and you're like oh that's okay you just try again later and it's kind of cute in how they fall Oh, yeah, I mean, it's def- it's definitely a movie where you watch it and you go, you know, I appreciate the effort. Cause yeah. Because it it, it's not like, you know, I just mentioned the movie Sledgehammer. This is leagues better <laughs> than that, you know. Like, Mad Men, it, it's, it's an interesting case because the script is, frankly, not great. <laughs> uh, the acting is not amazing. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Galen Ross is great, but she should be. She was in Dawn of the Dead. You know, a- everyone else here is kind of hit or miss. But but the thing about it is that certain elements are really good. Like, the, the imagery is great. Yeah. Uh, the direction is mostly solid, except for those moments like the hot tub where you <laughs> question certain decisions, right? The the soundtrack is pretty good. The Madman Mars makeup is fun. Yeah. Uh, the kills are great. So... So it, it ultimately ends up being, I think, what I like about this movie is that more than The Burning, more than Friday the 13th, more than Sleepaway Camp, more than all of these other camp slashers, Madman itself feels like the most pure, like, campfire horror tale. Yeah. You know, like the like the opening of the film is, is, a, is a title card that, you know, says it all began at after a campfire story at North Sea, whatever the place is called. And and then we just move right into this campfire story. And then the entire film takes place over the next few hours, you know, and it, and it ends before daylight. Spoiler. So, you know, so it just, it, it all together feels like one long kind of simple, eerie campfire tale that you could go and recreate to your friends. There's nothing complicated about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like a story that, is for kids, but is a bit scarier than what they're used to because the parents aren't around now. Now it's the camp counselors who are like, I'm going to fuck up your mind, (laughs) you know, and they tell you this messed up story with like people's heads getting chopped off and stuff like that. And so it, it just, it feels like that pure campfire horror story that you would hear as a kid at camp. I can't speak from experience and apparently neither can you, even though you went to camp, but it has that vibe to it, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I just think that's really cool, and that, I think that's what makes it stand out and what has made it stand out over time is that, you know, it does feel just like so purely 80s camp horror. Yeah. And, and so, so yeah, because of that, I enjoy this movie. You know, one last – one thing I want to add before we move into spoilers here, just because I think it's a fun note and I don't know if we'll get to it, is that the main or, – or the head counselor of the movie played by – or named Max, played by Frederick Newman – uh, apparently, they originally tried to get Vincent Price for this role. What? <laughs> and all I can say to that is, God damn it, because I would have <laughs> loved to have seen Vincent Price delivering that fucking dialogue. <laughs> uh... Because Max's dialogue is some of the worst in the movie. <laughs> um, like, my particular favorite, this is not a spoiler, and then I swear we'll talk about the movie and, you know, get into interesting things here. But But my favorite... Uh, one of my favorite quotes is when all the kids are talking about, like, you know, they're going to have, like, a drink or, you know, uh, th- I don't think they even directly really talk about sex. They might mm-hmm. mention it, but but they're kind of talking about that stuff. And Max just, like, stands up and he's like, 
well, I don't think this kind of talk is appropriate for me, so all of you... Or he says something like, I think I'm getting too old for this kind of talk. (laughs) Like, it just... It's just such a, like, Omax. Oh, Omax. Like... (laughs) I, I would have loved to see Vincent Price in this role, but I have to admit, I really like the actor who did it because he very oh. much had that like old counselor like feel to him. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but imagine Vincent Price just san- just standing up during the middle of like sex talk and being like, well, I think I'm getting too old for this. T- I can't do a Vincent Price I, accent. I but. would be terrified <laughs> if, if Vincent Price was one of my camp counselors. I know. That's what makes it funny. <laughs> <laughs> But all right, so so anyway, so uh, we're gonna get into spoilers now with the film. So again, if you haven't seen it, go stream it on Shutter. I think it might also be on Tubi, but definitely check it out because we are going to talk about everything that we can get into with this. Uh, so as usual, you know, like I said, we've got. <laughs> Usually, I would say we've got a great cast of characters, like an interesting <laughs> cast of characters. But in this case, I'm just kind of like, we've got characters. Yeah, so, they're there. So there's, so there's Betsy, played by Galen Ross, or her boyfriend TP, played by Tony Fish. Uh, Betsy's sort of best friend, at least at camp, Stacy, played by Harriet Bass. Uh, who, who do you want to talk about in this movie? Um, so I want to talk about Dave, who's played by Seth Jones. And Dave might seem like a weird person to talk about. Oh, yeah. Might just seem like <laughs> a weird person to Okay, talk so about. Th- there's a reason why I want to talk about Dave, even though he's kind of one of, like, the side characters that gets next to no screen time other than his death. And that's because the only time we really spend with Dave is when they've been drinking in the cabin. It's it's him and um, him and Stacy and Ellie and Bill are all drinking in a cabin together. And he decides Orgy. to... That's what I thought initially when I saw that scene. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're all fucking laying there on the floor together. Like, yeah, we're, like heads one step, next to each other. They're one step away from Camp Counselor Orgy. Exactly. But then Dave kills it because he goes on this weird-ass rant about basically how you never know what somebody is thinking and that you have to hope that human beings stay rational. Otherwise, you don't know what's going to happen and you don't ever want to let their, like, emotions overcome their intellect. It's a really fucking weird speech. Dave is the character who's like, oh, what's that? You're all having a good time? (laughs) Let me destroy that for you. (laughs) Pretty much. But here's the thing is that it's so fucking weird that it makes me think that Dave is a killer. Like, if Madman Mars was not our killer, Dave would be our killer and murdering all the camp counselors. It, it's the fun thing about movies like this sometimes where it's like, you know, you can you can watch Madman and we very clearly know that nobody is the killer but Madman Mars. I mean, yeah. it shows him early on, right? And Dave feels like a character from like a first draft who might have been hinted at it being the killer. <laughs> And then later on, as the drafts were rewritten, although I'm not going to give Madman the credit that it went through a lot of rewrites, but <laughs> but as as time goes on, you know, it feels like that must have gotten lost in the script somewhere, and they just kept it and forgot, like, oh, we don't really need to hint at Dave being a killer anymore because we know he's not, right? But it's it's certainly it's one of the many just like what the fuck is this dialogue kind of moments. And here's my thing with it that like I really want to point out is this is one of the few movies where like I feel like they give us so many like weird quirky character like moments like that with Dave that this is one of the few times I'm like. Could we have spent more time with the characters? Because I want to know what the fuck are going on with those counselors. They're all fucking weird. Every single one of them is just slightly off to the point where, like, you could do, like, a ten little Indian story with those camp counselors. And I would not be able to tell you who would be the murderer because they're all so fucking, like, off and murderous. Uh, they're all just robots. Like, I- I'm, yeah. pretty, I'm pretty sure what this camp is, is it's like, uh... It's like whatever the fuck, like future world at Disney, right? And they're all <laughs> yeah, and, and like we're like we're on a we're on a weird ride at Disney, and they're all just animatronic people. <laughs> or they could all be aliens pretending to be human, and none of them know that the other ones are aliens. So they're all like trying really hard to be no, human. No, 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 this is too complicated. No, I just like, I want animatro- complicated. <laughs> I just want animatronic weirdos who just you know all these kids have been sent to a camp, and they're like, oh, this is great, and then they find out you know that all the camp counselors are you know, robots, and they want to murder them. But uh, anyway, so uh, as far as who I want to talk about, you know, I just really want, I just really quickly want to touch on uh, Stacy, played by Harriet Bass. And the reason is, is I feel like Stacy, now, now I want to preface this with a quick note, okay? (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, on this podcast, Chris and I do our damnedest to get into like you know the themes of these movies, uh, what what are certain metaphors and stuff like that going on. Sometimes you come up with interesting things. Sometimes more than other episodes, right? <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna tell you right off the bat with Madman. I don't think there's shit going on in this movie <laughs> beneath the surface. Like I don't, I do not give Madman the credit of having much that it's trying to say. No, nope. <laughs> but damn it, I'm going to try to pull fucking something out of this movie for all of you. And so it, it begins with Stacy here, and I I am so sorry if the next thirty minutes is just pure stupidity. That makes you feel dumber by the end of it. I'm so excited <laughs> for this. But all right, so so with Madman, I think I think the character of Stacy uh, epitomizes what I think might be one of the central themes of Madman, uh, which is this concept of uh, characters who feel held back. You know, who try to who who want something more out of life, but they're they're held back by. Uh, by kind of like primitive elements of life, right? Mm. So, so I guess when I look at Stacy, you know, here's this character who like she's all about the city. Like her her whole character in this movie is basically summed up as I can't wait to get to the city so I can fuck everyone. <laughs> you know, like like Stacy's just all about getting home and, and fucking like a rabbit, and then eventually <laughs> she'll settle down with like eighty people, right? So, so so Stacy strikes me as like. You know that character that, and we all we all either were or knew this person in college who just, you know, is not ready to settle down, who just wants everything they can pull out of life before they, you know, do whatever. And and Stacy is that character. And there's like little moments that, again, not at all do I think that the movie <laughs> is trying to make a point here, <laughs> but I'm gonna make a point for it with it, and that is that you know. When Stacy nearly encounters Madman Mars, there's a point where she's down by the lake, and she and we meet her just sitting in the boat there, and playing her flute. Yeah, and, and it strikes me as like she's sitting there, almost like dreaming of just being the hell out of this camp, right? And anyway, she starts to climb up this hill, and for no reason whatsoever, the movie is just suddenly like, "Hey, that hill she came down." Uh, turns out she's a moron, and she can't <laughs> climb up three feet worth of hill, right? So Stacy's sitting there, like, struggling, like, oh, geez, this is so hard to climb up this hill that I can jump over, you know? And <laughs> and, uh, and and it's all to set up suspense for Madman just barely grabbing her foot, which I'm not even sure how he doesn't just climb up the hill after her there. But anyway, aside the point. <laughs> My point with that is that Stacy is struggling to get up this hill, and it, and again, it strikes back to, you know, that feeling of being kind of chained down or held back, and, like, you're trying to climb up you know it's like a what is it a Siphius? no not not a Siphius. uh the that that character from greek myth no who's i think right sisyphus okay sisyphus who, yeah. who's pushing i did not say that who's yeah. pushing up <laughs> who's pushing the boulder up and the boulder just keeps rolling back and like they can never get up the hill right mm -hmm. that's stacy that, that's stacy yeah. in a nutshell like she she is trying to get to more and exciting things and she just can't get out of this goddamn camp <laughs> that is responsibility and life right yeah. so there you go. There's there's something <laughs> minimal to pull out of this. But all the characters kind of represent that in the way. Like, we're, we're on one of the last nights of camp here. You know, we're kind of in a rare setting where with these camp horror films where we never really see the campers packing up to leave. Like, we never see the night before they're all gone, really. It's always, yeah. the, it's always when they first get there. So, in this case, it's like all these characters who are just ready to get back out to the world mm -hmm. and the world is kind of saying hey no fuck you you stay where you are and you die there <laughs> you're gonna die in this camp exactly i like it i like it as a as a theme i also agree that there's absolutely nothing going on well well so <laughs> i think there's a little bit more but we'll get into this thing and so tell me you know like kind of touching on mad mad mars and the whole legend and campfire storytelling element to this you know uh, what do you think of the legend as it's presented in this movie and kind of like how the film approaches scary stories and stuff? And also, what is <laughs> Madman Mars? Do you have a theory on 
what he is, you know? We talked about what Jason is last week. What do you think Madman is? Uh, Madman, I feel like, is such a difficult thing to pin down. So in terms of how the movie, like, approaches scary stories and legends and stuff like that, I, I feel like you were really on the nose earlier with this is the quintessential campfire story. Because, like, we open up with a really good campfire story and the song and everything that very much brings us all back to that camp setting. How many times am I going to say camp? A billion. Um, oh, I've already said like 80,000 <laughs> times. Um, but then the way that the movie is laid out and kind of the kind of the simplicity that goes with it of what happens also feels like this movie could be a story that we're telling at camp as well. And so I feel like it's very like true to, you know, let's do an old school like legend type of thing but in terms of like what madman mars is himself i have no fucking clue because like it almost feels like they're trying to do like the camp urgent urban legend come to life Mm. you know where the story gets told enough there's enough belief in it that he kind of just manifests like i almost kind of want to go with something like that where he's not necessarily like He's not human or rooted in human, except for the fact that the story that Max tells at the beginning is so fucking specific. Uh, Normally when you have a campfire legend, like, it gets, like, vague. All the details get fuzzy, everything like that. But, like, Max knows he went and killed his family. He came back to the bar with a bloody axe. This is how he died. It's so fucking specific that it makes me think that, like, Madman Mars is much more like a Leatherface type character. Like, He's human. He's just been living out in the fucking woods, and he's gotten well, weird. Well, first of all, Max doesn't know anything. Max is just telling a story. <laughs> so, or does like, he? No, but you know what I mean. Like it, it's it's like it's like, just because Max makes up these details doesn't make it true. You know, or that's does what a, it? That's what a legend is. They're just passed down. It's like you know, just because a bunch of people wrote the Bible that Christ existed doesn't mean he did. So. You know, so I don't think that it makes it true what Max is saying. I- I'm not going to spend time on the fact that it's just like a campfire legend, you know, because I-, I think we already kind of touched on that enough. But but the thing I will add there is that, again, compared to other, like, camp horror movies, it's it stands out because Madman himself is more, is is approached more like a traditional legend in the sense that we do open and close with a song, and for those who aren't familiar, you know, that that's how a lot of legends were passed down through history because, you know, for a very long time, we didn't have books in the written word. We had song. Yeah, it was you know? all oral so, tradition. Right. And, and song, and part of the reason it's song is songs are easy to remember. They stick with you, you know, there's a beat to them. So <laughs> so a lot of stories were told that way. And, 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 I, I, and there is kind of like an odd emphasis on Madman as a sort of legend because, uh, you know, we have, like, aside from the, the storytelling style with the songs and the campfire and the whole legend of his house and all that, aside from that, like, you also have little kind of, you know, references to, like, you have the reference to the King Arthur story where, you know, Madman is pulling this axe out of the wood that nobody else could remove. Is, is but he... Madman is strong enough to be the hero slash murderer of this camp. He's the one true killer out of all of them. Exactly, yeah. So if by your theory, if they're all killer robots or whatever the fuck, uh, <laughs> Madman is the truest killer of them all. <laughs> so do you think that they just manifested him? No, I'm going to get to what I think about him. But I, first, I just want to touch on, you know... Where where I think the legend is interesting, and again, I, I am just doing my best <laughs> to pull something out of this movie, is I think that, you know, there's something to be said here, too, for just kind of how, just kind of how the legends approach thematically, because, you know, the, the story itself deals with uh, this killer, Madman Mars, who went and, you know, murdered his wife and his kids, and he was an abusive alcoholic beforehand, you know, just like very, like, uh, traumatic shit for kids, right? Yeah. You know, some of the kids listening to this are, like, eight, eight years old or something, right? Mm-hmm. It's a pretty traumatic shit, and I feel like, and I'm going to touch more on this in a second, but I feel like part of that is that, you know, or part of the reason why for that is that uh, a lot of this film seems to be kind of touching on little issues of like relationships and divorce and you know like male toxicity and stuff like that yeah and 
why I mention it here is because you have these kids listening to this story and camp itself kind of feels like that place where, you know, kids are maybe allowed to be a little bit more adult to get a bit more of a glimpse into the adult world, you know, like the, like basically your parents aren't around anymore, you know, so it's kind of all about whatever rules the camp counselors have. And, you know, some camps I imagine are pretty strict, but then you got other camps with probably laid back camp counselors who are like, I don't fucking care. Let's tell creepy, scary stories full of guts and blood and all this shit that you might not have at home. Right. And so it kind of feels like this simple kind of story to kind of lay it out for kids of like, you know, (laughs) kind of, kind of describing basic ideas of domestic abuse and addiction and kind of putting it in a way that they understand (laughs) where it's like, Oh, that one parent's just a monster. (laughs) 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 Not really that, but you know what I mean? But it's, it's it's basically like putting it in a way that they can understand and kids understand monsters, right? They get Mm. that stuff. So, so I feel like the story itself is kind of laying it out for kids of like, Hey, this is kind of what this shit is, you know, like, yeah. you're, you're like, you're, you know, the, the alcohol, the alcoholism and that kind of stuff like that. That's bad. Yeah, you know? Alcoholism <laughs> bad, beating your kids bad, all of it bad. Right, right. Exactly. So this is, this is kind of like for, you know, I, and, and to go further with that, like these kids are away at camp in the fall. Why are they at camp in the fall? No, no, summer, no camp that I know of. Okay, were you at camp in the fall? <laughs> well, so my <laughs> keep in mind with this camp, they're saying it's a camp for gifted kids. My high school would do leadership trips in the fall. So like we would do them more in like September or yeah, September or October. Yeah. But we would go away for like leadership camps for like a week. So yeah, I've okay. I've totally gone camping in the fall. Okay, well then I'm gonna make you <laughs> depressed because my my feeling on camp in the fall is this. So like summer camp, summer camp makes sense. You know, summer summer camp to me is the camp that parents send their kids to when they're like, man, I just want a summer off. You know, yeah. I, I just want a summer off away from my kids. Yeah, that's what my dad did to me. Right, fall camp on the other hand, fall camp strikes me as like. There's a problem at home, and the kid, <laughs> and the kid, and the kid just needs to not be at home right now, you know, because you don't send your kid to camp in fall unless you're you. So, yeah. <laughs> so that strikes me as like there's some shit at home that the, that mom and dad or, or whoever are working out, right? Yeah. And and so I feel like you know going into what we're gonna talk about in a minute with like the relationships in this, I I feel like you know Madman is touching on this idea of like kids being sent away and being kind of forced to deal with this concept of what they're going to face when they get home and mom and dad are like hey so we're getting a divorce because this parent's an asshole so you think that this is therapy camp kind of i mean i don't not not like not on the surface but i I view it as like this is a place where kids go when mom and dad need them to not be around for a bit (laughs) all right so a, a big part of the early going with this movie is Betsy and TP's relationship and just what are your thoughts on like how this movie approaches honestly any sort of sentimentality but but their relationship in particular I have I have two very different thoughts on their relationship my first go-to thought is that they are aliens who have no idea how to be human and so this is all some weird elaborate really stuck on the alien thing because there's there's such an awkwardness and weirdness with the dialogue it's so wooden and stiff well they're honest they're obviously not aliens I okay I know that but look I kind of look at Betsy and TP weirdly as like your your quintessential like teenagers more so than I feel like I see with some of the other slasher films because they remind me of those kids who like were in relationships that they would be fighting by the lockers like during like first period and then by like the end of the day we're just like making out everything all was forgotten all that kind of stuff it's not a good relationship I don't think that these two should like be together because TP clearly has like weird shit going on because we Mm. we see him run like hot and cold because he'll be really intense and possessive and like he wants answers like when he's trying to talk to betsy about like we're gonna be together after camp right and she's like "Eh, i don't know he's like we're gonna be together i want to be together forever and then he's got that moment by like the the stump when he's trying to pull out the axe where max is trying to kind of counsel him of like 
sometimes you just don't win, and you have to be okay with that. No, no, no. I, I like how you say it so casually, like, Max, like, what Max is saying is totally okay. <laughs> like, not, not that his words aren't okay, yeah. but the way he says it is he's, like, up close, personal to TP, <laughs> like, his face is right next to his, and he's just, like, you know, something along the lines of, uh, you know, if you play too hard to win... You might not like who you become. <laughs> like, there's nothing. You, you're approaching the conversation like it's a normal conversation. It is not a normal there, conversation. There is no normal conversation in this movie. Exactly. I am, um, but yeah, it's this weird thing where like TP runs like so hot and cold with everything, and then Betsy's just kind of like very indecisive about things. Like she's very easily swayed by the fact that TP at dinner pretends to be mature. Of like, hey guys. I know you all saw a scene between Betsy and I, and that's really not okay. And I want to apologize. Like, who the fuck does that? Like, everything about their relationship is so surreal and not uh, okay. Okay, so, so <laughs> yes, no, that that's all obviously pretty clear in the movie. Like, <laughs> Mesh is like, dig deeper, bitch. Well, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, like, I, obviously that's the case, right? Like, obviously TP is not good for her. We yeah. get that. And, you know, and, and like, T, like TP is, you know, you, you said that it's almost like, uh, I, I don't know if you said it's faking or pretending when he, mm -hmm. when he gets him to the speech, but that's what yeah. it is. It is pretending. Like, yeah. you know, there, there's, it's not a coincidence that it's intercut with moments of, I think him dying and her, you know, peeling petals off of that piece of paper saying he loves me, he loves me not. Mm -hmm. And it ends on he loves me because I think there's an irony there of like, no, he probably really doesn't because no. any man who wears his own initials <laughs> on his belt buckle uh, probably doesn't really give a shit about very many women at, or, or men at, at, at that age, right? Yeah. Like they're probably pretty self-obsessed. Yeah. Uh, and not really ready to give their feelings over to Bessie. So my whole... My whole thing with it is that, you know, I going back to the story of Man Man Mars, I view the relationship as as kind of being or I view I view Mad Man Mars as being kind of like a, a metaphor for their relationship in a sense. Yeah. Where and honestly for a lot of the relationships, what is but particularly theirs, where, you know, <laughs> I, I feel like male toxicity comes up a lot on this <laughs> podcast. And, and look, a lot of these older movies touch on this kind of stuff. You know, it, it does feel like that story is supposed to be reflective of their relationship a little bit and kind of like a warning for it. And that's why we're getting all of, like, the first act of this script. Look, anytime you're watching a movie, the the rule or, or you know, rules are made to be broken. But one of the rules for screenwriters is you kind of introduce all the themes in the first act and stuff like that. Now again, Madman. I don't really think it has a lot to say, but <laughs> but if you're if you're trying to read into these scenes, a lot of early scenes are characters talking about Betsy and TP's relationship. It's all about them, uh -huh. and and everything that's being talked about is you know Stacy's conversation with with Betsy. That's basically all you know. Men, they they chase you until they have you, and then they do everything they can to get away with you, right? And and Betsy's all, oh, I know, but he's so charming when it's just <laughs> us. Like it sounds a little bit like an abuse victim who's like, you know, but they're really great when you're not looking, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it's that kind of thing. And then you've got, you know, Max like with this really weird dialogue of you might not like who be who you become if you play too hard <laughs> to win. Like what the fuck's that all about? You know that that to me feels like Max observing the kind of person TP is and being like, hey, man, you're kind of becoming a dick. Yeah, you need to <laughs> chill the fuck out, bro. Right. So and that just coupled with the tale of Madman and what he did to his wife and his kids, you know, it's almost kind of like a warning tale to someone like Betsy of like, hey, watch out for this dude who seems super possessive and not really loving of you yeah. because he could be a Madman Mars type, right? Yeah, um, I think you're 100% right with that. Like, there's so many warning signs with with TP of just, like, you don't want to get involved with a dude like that because he just wants to be possessive of her. Like, there's no, there's no moment where it seems like he's interested in Betsy for her sake. Right. Like, even it, down to, like, the, the weird, like, mating ritual in the hot tub. Like, all of that seems very forced of him just being, like, I'll circle you, I'll be patient, but I'm going to fucking get you in the end. Yeah, well, I mean, think of this, you know, what 
one of the one of the lessons that he's told is the biggest test is letting go, not holding on. And so what does he do? He holds on harder. <laughs> like you know, he makes his fake ass apology and then he holds on. So so I, I don't think that T I, I think TP's pretty clearly made to be out like, you know, a little bit of a possessive kind of D bag who's mm-hmm. not good for Betsy. And anyway, you know, and Man Man Mars is kind of like the ultimate possessive dude in the sense that you know, like, like what, what did Betsy and Stacey talk about is this idea of, you know, they they keep coming after you until they get you, and then once they have you, they're just like, whatever with you, right? Yeah. That's kind of what Madman Mars is. Madman Mars, he is coming for you. He is aggressively coming at you. He will do everything he can to get you. You will not escape him. Yep. Uh, but then once he has you, he's going to throw you in the basement with the rest of the bodies. And <laughs> yeah, but he's just going to put you on a hook for display, and then he's done with you. Exactly. So... So I do feel like that represents it a lot, and also, and I also feel like I might be the only person in history with this movie to to try to apply any sort of, you know, thought behind the hot tub <laughs> scene, because going with this conversation, my my thought on maybe why the director filmed it that way again, it just seems like a total awful choice to me. But I mm. think I think if there was any intention behind it, maybe it's to say that. You know, their relationship is just going in circles and not really, you know, not really solving anything, right? Like, mm-hmm. he makes a stupid apology, but it ju- it's just bringing them back to where they were. So it's just, it's it's a one, it's a 360 relationship instead of a 180 actually making any kind of change. So <laughs> I, look, I think that's good messaging. I think that's accurate for them. So I think you're right on that. One final thing that stood out to me with Betsy and this whole idea of male toxicity and relationships and all that is... In the end, when she finally does go to face Madman Mars and she grabs the gun out of the cabin, it feels a little too coincidental to me that she goes to grab the the gun and right underneath that is a picture of a rabbit. And to me, it almost kind of feels like that choice of are you going to be the prey or the predator, mm-hmm. you know? And so I kind of I kind of like that imagery of like her grabbing the gun and being like, I'm done taking people's shit. And I'm gonna go. I'm gonna hunt this motherfucker down. I am not the rabbit anymore, right? So. But she still kind of ends up being the rabbit because oh, she doesn't survive. That doesn't mean that the movie's <laughs> not trying to imply that message when she grabs the gun. You know, uh-huh. the the end doesn't 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 take away from the means early on. So. Fair enough. I want to get your thoughts on the the ending of all of this, cause I fucking hate the fact that Richie survives the ending. Like, I think that the twist in the ending is awesome, but Richie surviving bugs the fuck out of me. I don't know if you have any good explanation for why he gets to live through this. Oh, I do. So, so finally getting to... Of course to, you do. <laughs> uh, I always have an explanation. Whether it's, whether it's bullshit or not. That's what <laughs> so, I love about you. So look, you know, going back to what is Madman Mars and like you, you were trying to come up with this theory of like they they make him exist and I I, I think that's you know it's a movie so that's possible like mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to say that that's not the case here because there is no straight answer but for me I honestly just view it as this is all in Richie's head I, I, honest, I honestly think the entire movie is Richie's imagination did and Richie murder everybody? no no okay. I, I'm saying I'm saying just the movie itself mm-hmm. like everything that we see is for the most part, what's in Richie's mind. So the reason I say that is, first of all, it's pretty odd that Richie, of all of the characters, lives. Yeah. You know, Rich, Richie, like, by horror movie law, Richie should have been the first person to get picked off, right? Yeah, he started and this shit. He, he started this shit. He threw the bottle at Man-Man's house and woke him up or whatever, you know? Like, he he's a jerk kid. Like, everything about Richie says... You should be dead by the time the final reel rolls, right? Yeah. And and yet Richie's not. Richie's the only survivor other than the few kids that escape. So mm-hmm. so I guess when I look at that and you think about the way that this movie opens with the campfire song and the kind of spoilery shots that we get of what happens later on, I think the way to explain that is just that that's what Richie's imagining happening as that song is being sung. So so it's kind of like Richie, you know, sort of imagining w- images with the words that are being sung in the song. Mm-hmm. And then once Max tells this uh, Mad Mad Mars story, Richie kind of starts to combine the two, you know, and, and, and start sort of putting them together. And then especially once he 
you know, and then he's scared. Like, he, he, he reminds me of, like, that kind of tough kid who – or not the tough kid, but he reminds me of that kid who acts tough uh, because they're so scared. Mm-hmm. And so I always kind of imagine, well, maybe Richie's the, mo- the most scared of any of the kids around the campfire – and that's why he's being the loudest and most aggressive about throwing the bottle at the house. Mm-hmm. And it could explain why Richie is the one who sees Madman Mars and nobody else does, even though Madman, <laughs> by the way it's shot, seems to be very clearly standing on a tree where they can all see him, right? Yeah, he's just watching so, him. Right, so it strikes me as Richie being afraid. And, you know, now that he's heard this creepy story, he's afraid to go back in the woods. And when he gets separated and goes in the house, he gets freaked out again. And the rest of the movie, he's just kind of wandering around, right? And so I imagine that... As he's wandering, these are just all the awful things that he's thinking about. Is like, you know, what Madman Mars is doing to everyone at camp, and <laughs> I, and 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 and, it, it, and basically, like, with him surviving and then hearing the song again, uh, as we're going over the dead bodies and him being like, Madman Mars was real or something like that, it it, it strikes to me more as you know, it strikes me more as like. Going back to my theme here, with I hope I haven't lost anybody <laughs> by this point. It strikes me more as like Richie going back to that theme of why the kids are at camp in the first place, and this idea of you know parents that are maybe like maybe there's trouble at home and they're sending their kids off to this camp, and the story is reflective of that, right? Mm-hmm. It strikes me as like Richie goes into this house. The first place he goes to is the attic, and so he's kind of like facing the fears in his in his mind, right? Uh-huh. And then and then he finally goes down to the basement where all of the awful stuff is. And to me, that's like Richie facing uh, facing kind of the truth of his family in his heart, mm-hmm. which is when he gets home, mom and dad got something to tell him. You know, they're, <laughs> everyone's <laughs> dead. Not everyone's dead. They're getting divorced, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so it's really, again, the movie's all about, you know, just simple campfire horror stories. It's It's told like a campfire horror story. And it just seems to be that implication of like, Hey, this story really freaked this kid out, and here and here's the result of that. <laughs> Look, I really like that theory. I feel like that would explain that could explain away like the weird stilted like dialogue and all the weird scenes. Like, I mean, I, you can explain everything. Like, you go to the hot tub scene. Maybe that's how Richie imagined sex in a hot tub. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> if you just circle each other spinning until yeah. eventually you meet in the center. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, you don't know. He's a teenager. He doesn't know what the hell he's thinking about. So. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I really like that theory because it, it really fucking bugged me. The one thing I did I thought was cool with this movie that we don't always get with slashers, and of course you will correct me if I'm wrong, um, but we don't always get that, like, nobody lives. Like, usually there's a final girl. Someone makes it out alive who's important it's, to the story. It's rare, yeah. Like, someone like Betsy's usually coming out of this okay. Yeah. And so, for me, part of me, like, I actually really like that they did that twist. Because, again, you know, there's aspects of this movie that I feel like are kind of taking some slasher stuff and kind of turning them a little bit. And so I really liked that ending. And then the moment I saw fucking Richie on the side of the road, like, I was just Filled with rage. Well, well, look, it's a morality tale, and mm. and you know, based it's a on morality tale, he should die. Well, but no, his his look, look again. It, I think it's all in his head, mm-hmm. and, and the morality tale for him is, I think, coming to terms with things he hasn't yet. Yeah, like like to me, I mean, look, you know, it, it's easy to write these things off as like not meaning anything, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, but, but stories, you know, a lot of filmmakers too, like they'll say stuff like, oh, I, I didn't intend for it to read that way or whatever. And I believe them, you know, mm-hmm. cause a- as someone who writes scripts myself and tries to make movies once in a while, you're not always thinking about things that people end up taking from it. But, you know, I, I feel like there's a subconscious reason of like why we're seeing Richie in the attic first and then in the basement, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and it does, and with him living and coming to terms with the story of Madman. It really just feels like Richie's this scared kid who's been sent to camp by his parents who don't want him at home, and he hears this creepy story about a dysfunctional family, <laughs> and now <laughs> and now he's kind of like heard this story and and he and he's realized the cost. Maybe Richie broke up his parents, you know? Maybe he's such an asshole they don't know what to do with him <laughs> anymore, and, and he's just come to terms with like, I'm going home to a madman Mars family, you know, yeah. like, and, and the morality tale here is like, 
you should have been a better kid. You shouldn't have been such a dickhead. You know, like it, because that's what these, that's what those campfire stories are, right? Yeah. They're they're all about, hey, don't be a dick ass kid. Yeah. And and so Richie, you know, in his whole head, he's playing out all this awful stuff because he's so fucking terrified, and and it's almost kind of like, you know, it's almost like if you had a bad kid and you scared the shit out of them so badly that by the end of the story, they're like, you know what? I'll behave better. <laughs> I don't want Santa Claus coming down the chimney and chopping me up with an axe. I'd rather he leave me presents, you know? So so it's kind of like Richie coming to terms with that of like, okay, I will be a better kid yeah. because I don't want to be murdered by Man Man Mars. <laughs> Fair enough. So, so look, that's the best I can yeah. do with this movie. I like that, it. I that's think it's mo- good. That's the most I can get out of Mad Man. <laughs> but, but that is where I feel this is so uh all right so we gotta start wrapping up so who is your killer idiot of madman uh that goes to fucking ellie because look she gets faked out twice of like madman mars is chasing her and like she'll go and hide and kind of lose him for a bit and then like think that she's gotten away go and check and he's like fuck you bitch i'm here and she runs away again and then she never waits long enough she keeps going back to check until she gets a fucking axe in the chest so you know what you're dumb ellie you're dumb well ellie is one of the characters in the movie and you know i i've heard according to the director like jan clara was a very sweet actress on set and like Mm -hmm. very nice to work with um but her character ellie is the one out of anybody else who kind of has this doe-eyed look of like there just ain't nothing going on behind those no. eyes <laughs> they're always big and bright and they're just saying there just isn't anything happening there so uh m- mine's gonna go to richie uh, for obvious reasons mm-hmm. you know you don't you don't throw a bottle at the house <laughs> that you just were told a legend about you know don't piss off this person you don't throw a bottle at the house he he's he even sees Mad man mars and then splits off from the group anyway and goes and explores this house which that's the one other thing I wanted to say about Man Man Mars and why I think it's all in his imagination. Because you're not going to sit there and tell me that the authorities have known about Man Man Mars this entire time. <laughs> and they just never figured out that he's in the basement with the bodies of his family. Yeah. Like, no one's ever gone into that house and found the bodies. Like, <laughs> you know, so it's little things like that of like, ah, I'm not really totally buying that Man Man Mars is real, you know. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, it's Richie. He fucking deserved to die. And it is kind of a shame that he doesn't. But right. I think it works with thematics. Yeah. Uh, what about your killer death of Madman? Like that goes to TP. TP getting getting strung up and like fighting so much to survive and then dying because Madman uh, Mars just like grab yanks on his foot. It's such an intense. Oh, no, 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 he doesn't yank on his foot. He yanks on his belt. Oh, his it, belt. His belt that says <laughs> TP, which is why I think that's very intentional. And again, a commentary on TP being a full of himself dick. Yes. <laughs> You you are correct. I just remembered thinking, why are you about to touch his dick, bud? Yeah, no. To me, to me, that's the movie saying, "Hey, don't be this guy." Yeah. <laughs> uh, but his death is so intense that I feel like it's it's the perfect death to kick everything off. They did such a good job with it um, that it gets to be my killer death. Yeah, no, it's a good one. Um, I, I'm gonna say Stacy with the car hood because you know. It, TP's death is fine. It's not totally original. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, but <laughs> but but Stacy's with the car hood to me. You know that is one that stands out because you just at that time especially you hadn't seen deaths like that. You know yeah. you hadn't seen something like that. So so that's kind of the ones that's that's one of the ones that stands out because it was kind of unique. Even though Chris thinks that that can't actually happen, although I would argue Madman pulls out that <laughs> axe with one hand out of the out of the woods so you know i'm sure he has enough weight on him to (laughs) sever this girl's head with the car hood i don't know (laughs) fair enough fair enough so lastly what about your killer mvp of madman uh let's see if i have this right that goes to gary sales for writing the madman mars song it's such a cool opening song and he writes the end song as well but i feel like they really set the tone for this whole movie let you know what you're in store for and it's Honestly, one of the favorite parts of this movie. So he wins for that awesome song. Yeah, no, Gary Sales, uh, he was a producer on this. He he helped come up with the story, too. He didn't write the script, as far as I know, but he helped come up with the story. So, I mean, he definitely gets a lot of credit as, like, coming up with the music, coming up with that song. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously it lasts. Like, I, I posted about Mad Men the other day, and 
you know, half the comments on it were all people just quoting the song. <laughs> so it, it, it has stuck with people over the last 40 years, right? Yeah. My, my MVP is going to go to uh, cinemato- cinematographer James Lemo, though, only because I, I think that, again, Mad Men is an interesting case where the script is a trash fire. Yeah. <laughs> but... But the look and feel of the film is actually kind of A plus. Yeah. You know? Like, and, and that's not all on the cinematography. That's not all on James. That's obviously part of the direction and the production design and all that. Um, but I, but I think it's a really well shot movie. Mm-hmm. You know, especially considering like time constraints and the budget and all that, and shooting all at night, which I cannot tell you all how difficult that actually is. It does a great job. Like yeah. the the film, the film feels kind of like an A plus movie for the time, just with you know a, a D minus <laughs> script. <laughs> um, if only the script had been a little bit better. Right, like it's a movie that looks better than it should. Yeah. So, uh, so no, yeah, cinematographer James Lemo did a really good job. All right, so that's gonna do it for us on Madman. So next week we are gonna be talking about the classic Sleepaway Camp. Woo! Uh, so if you haven't seen that, go check it out before we do that episode. As always, we will spoil everything. Other than that, hope you've enjoyed us talking about Madman. And on that note, I would like to leave you with this. Lore of the campfire, telling of his horror. Lost in the woods with the madman and the stars. Don't laugh at the tale. Heed if you call him, the legend lives. Beware the madman Mars, the legend lives. Beware the madman Mars. I feel like Chris didn't even try there. Anyways. <laughs> I uh, did try. All right, so that's it for us on Madman. Hope you enjoyed that and our awful singing. I'm sorry you had to go through that and that we've traumatized you now probably forever. Uh, but with that, have a good night, horror fans, and we will see you next week. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.